This episode of the Blackstick Global Podcast is sponsored by Blackstick Global Passport. Join aspiring Black expats, expats, and repats, where you can build community, get resources, and gain support along your journey abroad. You're invited to join Blackstick Global Passport. Inside Passport, you'll find exclusive workshops on everything from expat taxes, financial planning, insurance, job boards, accountability check-ins, and more more. You can even take Passport on the go with our app available for iOS and Android devices. Just click the link in the episode you're listening to or visit blacksitglobal.com and click on Passport. See you inside. And I was looked into it. I thought, okay, yeah, this could be something I could be interested in because I always wanted to travel, but just didn't know how to do it. Close your eyes and imagine living a life you love, unapologetic and unbothered. Free from daily microaggressions from Karens and Kens. Free from the fear of police brutality and systemic racism. Wouldn't that feel amazing? Now open your eyes. What if I told you that it's possible? Hear inspiring stories and get the actual blueprints from brothers and sisters of the diaspora who are living out their wildest dreams abroad. You've heard the term, now be inspired by the movement. I'm Krishan Wright, and this is Blacksit Global. I love elevating and amplifying stories about Black expats who have taken the road less traveled. And in this episode, I'm really excited to delve into this conversation with Phil. Phil is in a country that most people wouldn't think about for a Blacksit, South Korea. So I'm excited to delve into his incredible story and welcome him to the Blacksit Global podcast. Welcome to Blacksit Global, Phil. Uh, thank you very much for having me. Awesome. So I'm excited. And like I said, you're in a country that is isn't atypical. Let's, before we jump into your time in South Korea, where, where you currently are in Incheon, let's start where you grew up. You grew up in South Carolina. So tell us a little bit about that part of your life. Uh, well, not quite. Uh, I guess say I finished more high school and college in South Carolina. I was born in Mississippi in a military base. My mom was in the Army. Uh, so I stayed with my grandmother for like up to like, I will say, five, six years old in Alabama. Then went to live with her in Washington State for a couple of years. Stayed with my dad until I was about 15, then Alabama again, and then moved my mom and stepfather to South Carolina. Uh, I'll say about July, June, July of 2007. And so after that, uh, been there, finished high school, graduate high school in 2009, June 2009. Um, went to college. My first college year was going to be originally, it was at Charleston Southern. Only did that for a year, but then I almost kind of dropped out. Then afterwards, uh, I kind of, you know, was trying to figure out what I was trying to do, so I ended up working. At first, I was thinking about joining the military, but that didn't work out, so I ended up going back to school. I uh, went to Midlands Tech Community College, like a local community college in Columbia, South Carolina, and then uh, applied for my alma mater at Winthrop University, which I got accepted to in the fall semester of uh, 2011, graduated. And what led me into even thinking about teaching in South Korea was I was in my last semester of college in the fall of 2015, and I was trying to find a job of anything to no avail. And then eventually I found this ad for teaching English in South Korea. This was on my university's job board. 
And I thought, okay, let me look more, you know, do some research into this program, this possibility. And I was looked into it, I thought, okay, yeah, this could be something I could be interested in. Because I always wanted to travel, but just didn't know how to do it. Of course, my, I had some backlash from family members, friends, because some people, understandably, they were afraid that what if, you know, North Korea starts their invasion in South Korea, which, again, it's understandable. But my parents were suggesting if I wanted to travel, why not join the army? And I kept telling them, like, I want to travel on my own time, not when military says I can, you know. So that's what led me to that. And I uh, came to South Korea in May 2016 doing ESL teaching ever since then. Wow. Oh, my goodness. What about South Korea has surprised you? Because like you said, I can understand, you know, your family's trepidation and concern about you know, conflict between the two Koreas. What has been most surprising about your time there? No matter where I go in Asia or in South Korea or Asia in general, really, there's still people who are surprised to see a black person in general. Even in the capital city of the Seoul, like you'll still see both the very young and the very old generations surprised to see somebody with my complexion, my hair, hair texture. Well, sometimes it can get a bit annoying. It's not the fault of the people, the Korean people, because obviously South Korea is a homogenous nation like most of Asia. So obviously when somebody looks different, they're going to stand out pretty pretty harsh. The biggest surprise when it comes to jobs, especially with ESL teaching, is the amount of shadiness when it comes to some of these private English schools. Pretty much that's what I worked at. Most of them were pretty shady and I guess they're open about it but it hasn't waived me I just kept going I kept wanting to keep going because obviously I didn't want to just tuck my tails and go home you know with the defeated flag saying war was me so plus I have some good moments good times met some amazing people while in South Korea so that's what kept me going wow so let's talk a little bit about you know, some of the challenges and you you mentioned some shadiness. So do you find it's more related to you being an American, you being a black man, trying to unpack that a little bit? In South Korea, obviously, the most common thing most people do like to do is either military or ESL teaching. And so for ESL teaching, there's usually two paths. You got your public school option and your private school. So most people tend to go to the private school section because the barrier of entry is pretty low. So anybody, almost anybody with a clean background and a four-year degree, you can pretty much do that if you want to. Now, what makes it a little bit challenging is it's a literal lottery, depending on what kind of job, who you work for, how your experience will be. I, I like to break it down in three sections. Like for most private English academies, also known as hogwans, I guess you could say I'll put it in three colors. Like some of them are green or yellow or black. The green rank is usually more rare, like Great management, great staff, love where you're working at the school. Like, you have nothing, nothing bad to say. It's worth staying over for more than a year. Or some schools, on average, tend to be more on the yellow side or black, with yellow kind of being more your – it's it's just okay. The management's not the best. Sometimes it's kind of bad. And the workload can be a bit too much. It's just not worth it. Or most often than not, which I had my students, or more the black – code black whereas the school the directors they'll try to cheat you out of your salary cheat you out of your pension 
not pay for your health insurance, not paying health insurance, not paying the pension, or they'll try to do what's known as the infamous 11-month firing. So that what happens is normally the contracts last for one year, and some hogwans are so shady that will try to fire you as early as possible, like a 10-month out or 11-month into your contract. And so they don't have to pay your severance packets, like pay you the full year salary. And so that's, those are the type of stories that have happened in the past and continue to happen in the future, right now and in the future. Wow, you're right. That is shady. So is that in South Korea or, and I know that's primarily where you've been, but I'm imagining right. as an ESL teacher, you have more context beyond that. I'm pretty sure it happens all over the world, these kind of stories. For South Korea, they do have them. Again, it depends on the experience. Um, some people I've met, they got lucky. They never had the, the, the Hogwan nightmare story scenario. So it's, it's really it's really a gamble depending on who you end up hiring because most often than not, most people tend to either end up working at the big franchise ESL companies or like a small mom-and-pop shop. So some of them, like say for one branch in Seoul, for example, right, this branch is like cold green. It's a great branch, great management, whatnot. But the same franchise down the street in the next station over, it's cold black, color black. It's a horrible, bad school to work at. So it's a real gamble. What kinds of private schools? Yeah, because I know just in the Blacks of Global Facebook group, you know, there's people that have used ESL as their pathway out of the U.S. What I love about your story in part is just being able to shine a light on your own experiences, particularly in uh, an Asian country and being an ESL teacher. So in South Korea, you know, you mentioned that you've been there for quite some time. Do you have more of a familiarity with the language there, you know, as you move about the country? I haven't really done enough studying. Because most of the time I was working at so many bad schools, I just didn't want to, I didn't have the mental strength or determination to study Korean at the moment, right? But now um, I did try to, you know, pick up the language, you know, learning how to read. Like learning how to read Korean is a lot easier than speaking. That's probably the most common thing to say because for anybody in Korea, I would recommend where you're visiting or if you plan to live in South Korea for X amount of time. Korean in general for foreigners like Westerners, it is very difficult for us to study a language because it takes a lot more practice than, say, like your Germanic languages, like, say, Spanish, Italian, German, blah, 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 the Romance languages, right? It will, It is possible for people to learn Korean, but it will take time. It's up to the individual if they can learn it or not. And for me, it's going to take a long, long time for me to be, like, somewhat fluent. From a communication standpoint, do you communicate primarily in English? We'll be right back. Are you a Caribbean American? Are you looking for a podcast that truly speaks to your culture and identity? Look no further than Carry On Friends, the ultimate destination for all things Caribbean American. Hosted by me, Carrie Ann. Dive deep into topics such as culture, heritage, and everyday life through the unique lens of the Caribbean American experience. You'll walk away feeling more connected to your roots. Follow and listen on Apple Podcasts so you'll never miss an episode of Carry On Friends, the Caribbean American experience. 
your Caribbean American community awaits. Yes, uh, mostly English, or I'll have, you know, the translator, PapaGo translator app on my, on my phone ready to go if I need, like, you know, simple questions or to help explain it something. Wow. So in terms of, like, transportation and things like that, or just knowing eateries and just things that you normally would encounter, grocery stores, et cetera, how have you been able to navigate that? Because to your point, it's not using like an alpha numeric, you know, symbols and right. that we are used to in Western culture. So how have you been able to find your way and move about the country? Um, transportation wise, obviously GPS maps like Kakao map or neighbor map, they usually have uh, directions in English as well. So it help you get your bias to figure out what bus number you need to take to get to this station, what station to get off or whatnot. So that's not a big problem. When it comes to, say, like food or in groceries, obviously, you can see what's what. And, of course, I always, you know, use Google to find, like, the Korean version of this brand to help me get by to figure out what greens, especially when I started baking recently. Restaurants going out to eat, most restaurants will have a picture. Like, say, if you want to go to Songtown, like a soup restaurant, you can always like, go online to figure out what soup you want to find. That's in English. And then, you know, you say you want this, show them a picture, and then, you know, you can order from there. So most restaurants will have a picture on the menus. Some will not, depending on the the age, how old the restaurant is, uh, what kind of restaurant it is. Wow, that's really fascinating. For you, I know we've all been dealing with the pandemic on a global level and South Korea being no different. How has the pandemic impacted you in terms of, you know, your day to day? Uh, a lot, so much. Um, it's funny because this year I started, I finally switched over to public school positions. Obviously, you know, being excited, you know, I got a new job, going to a new city that I've never been to before, right? So everything's going to be good, right? But um, unfortunately, like most, uh, like the rest of the world, original classes got pushed back and delayed so many times. Even now, at least for my school, which is kind of unique because their English program is different than your typical ESL teaching jobs that you could normally find and apply for. This was a direct hire position, by the way. Um, we still haven't opened up the classes to this day. And so as of since July of 2020, I've kind of been furloughed. I've been put on leave at a reduced pay. So it has been a struggle to, I guess, mentally stay focused to stay sane. Because, again, I'm stuck on leave. And what makes it a little bit more difficult in my case is so in South Korea, legally, you're not allowed to have secondary incomes. So I can't legally, I'm not allowed to work or make money. You know, living during a pandemic, trying to, you know, pay bills, trying to figure out ways to pay bills and, you know, buy groceries. One has been, has been and continues to be a massive mental struggle for me. Wow. So is that applicable to all people in South Korea or for you because you're on a special visa? So for ESL teachers in South Korea, you'll get an E2 visa. And so basically the stipulation for that visa is, again, you can't have a secondary job. Also, ESL teaching jobs, both public and private, they tend to have the little clause, the stipulation in the contract saying you can't have a side job, no side hustles, no secondary incomes, or tutoring, which is even more very illegal. Like tutoring English 
can get you fired and get your visa canceled for sure. Impossible wow. fines. Now, yeah. of course, there are people who do have their own side hustles, who do make money. But, of course, that money is going back to their home bank accounts. So obviously, it's less likely for them to get busted for that, of course, compared to, say, if they made money in Korea. Plenty of foreigners who are making money on the side, but, of course, they don't talk about it out loud because you don't know who's listening, who's going to rat you out. Yeah, and you're right. I, I can imagine that the mental strain of that is is yeah. exhausting at times. Yeah, of Which course, is- I don't blame my employer for my situation, of course. I'm not angry or anything with them because I understand the situation. This is not their entire fault. It's all because of coronavirus. Is why we haven't had no classes yet, at least from my school. Are all the students not in school or just the ESL students? Just help me understand that a bit. Okay, for at least from my school particularly. Um, they still do classes, but, you know, limited sessions, of course. For the English classes from my in my school, we the principal hasn't opened up, up the classes. Because normally the ESL classes are in the afternoons, right? At the, usually at the lunchtime. And the principal is still... According to my boss, he's afraid that if he opens up just one class, the parents are going to start complaining about why aren't you opening up all the other classes and activity after school activities. So that's why he still has to open them up. Even if we did online, he's still afraid that the parents are going to complain no matter what. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Particularly for my school, so. And you And you mentioned before, like, because of your situation, you're on a contract, so basically have to ride it out i mean to be fair i was gonna originally actually gonna plan to resign for the school i mostly did some work you know lesson planning you know creating tests and whatnot but for me i would rather at least try to work the school officially like 100 because i kind of like to say i kind of did half of the work but not the full work because mm-hmm. i rather you know experience the job for a full year and then after that year, the next year is over, then I can say, okay, yeah, this is not for me. I'll just go to another school, blah, blah, blah. So that's why I'm going to sign on again. Plus, they, that even before the whole situation, they have been good to me so far. So that's why I'm going to resign again. Wow. I, I appreciate, you know, your work ethic. That's admirable. So let's segue into your, how you've been keeping your creative juices flowing and sustaining yourself. So I know you recently wrote an ebook. Tell me and tell the audience a little bit about how that came together and, you know, about the topic. Um, so the book I wrote was, this is over the summer, um, was called, it's called The Black Traveler's Guide to Incheon, South Korea. So for years, I've been thinking about ways about how can I start like some type of side hustle for years, right? And so back in, I want to say April, May, I was listening to this uh, webinar about how to turn your, I guess, activities into like monetization, how to make, build, you know, some type of side hustle, right? One of the ideas was like create an ebook, right? So an ebook, right? I thought about that for a while. I'm thinking... Yeah, we could we could probably make some type of ebook. What kind? What hit me was that when it comes to like travel in general, right? You probably seen it yourself. When it comes to travel content, where it become YouTube, ebooks, travel guides, whatever, there's barely any travel content from the viewpoint of somebody somebody of African descent who looks like us, right? 
well, over the years, that has kind of like, you see more and more Instagram travel pictures, YouTube videos of black travel content, and that's cool. But there's like a fraction compared to the rest of what you see on YouTube, mostly just white dude, white girls, white guys, mostly white guys. And again, most of, I'm not jealous of them. I, lo- I love some of their content, but sometimes we need to see a black perspective. So that's what led me to want to create this guide. And of course, this is my first book. So I wanted to test it out, see what kind of feedback I get. So I sent out an initial rough sketch, a rough draft of the book, right? Which is about, uh, I think it was about 15 pager to see how people would like it and to various fans or families. And I got a lot of positive feedback for it. Is that what pushed me to want to complete more and more of it? During the summer between June, May and um, July, I was working, going out almost every day, every other day, you know, going to various locations, taking pictures, writing down notes on Google Docs. And that kind of kept me busy, which also not only got me more creative, but also, you know, helped me, I guess, stay mentally, I guess, focused. Because obviously, since I'm not working, kind of like a furlough, it can be busy, if that's basically what I'm trying to say. Wow. Oh, my gosh. I love it. I love it. So you're basically taking people through what it is like to move about Incheon. Right. This is more like just a tra- like your typical travel guy you can see everywhere, like on, you know, Lost Lonely Planet and whatnot. But it's more designed from a Black person, by a Black person, by a Black team. Again, this book, I want, of course, anybody's welcome to read it, but it's just more of, this is a book that's going to be typically for Black people. It's designed for a black, the Black experience, what to expect. Like, say, in the book, I mentioned a lot of times that if you're going to come to South Korea, just be advised, you will be seen as kind of, quote, unquote, an ambassador to Black people, to all Black people. And that people will stare at you because, obviously, most of the time, they don't see Black people on a day-to-day basis. It's so interesting. You're right. For Black content creators, for Black people who are curious about moving abroad or traveling abroad, right. our representation is minimal in comparison yeah, to yeah. others. And so it's so important to amplify these stories, to tell these stories from different perspectives and points of view, because it helps people kind of imagine what is possible, what to expect, all all of those things. And so that's what I love about the book. Which I do appreciate, too. Thank you so much for creating it, because there will be so many people, whether you're talking about young adults to you know, older people that might be interested either in traveling to South Korea or just curious, you know, what the Black experience is. And that is why this book is so important. For the next stage, I know you talked about renewing with your employer, renewing your contract. Do you see yourself staying in South Korea or are, have you already set your sights on where you might go next after? I think my goal right now is short-term goal. I want to gain more experience in the public school sector. Obviously, as time progresses, I will also like to get maybe get my teaching license too, so probably I could eventually switch to, like, say, international school or something like that, while still making more, I guess, travel guide, black travel guide ebooks. 
as I travel up around the world still, you know, doing my off times. That's so great. Do you ever see yourself coming back to the States? I know in the beginning of this conversation, you talked about, you know, your family having, you know, reservations about you moving to South Korea more specifically, and you had a lot of heart and passion about charting your own path. I know you don't have a crystal ball, but to the extent that you can think ahead, do you ever see yourself coming back to the States? No, uh, no, ma'am. Honestly, for the USA, it's more like I'll I'd like to go visit, you know, see my old family and friends again. Great. But to just move back and live there again, honestly, I do not see myself moving back to the USA anytime soon. Health, one reason, healthcare, the health cost of healthcare is more affordable abroad than back home. And another reason is, I, obviously, for most black people, I'm pretty sure any black person is going to stand the police. I don't have to worry about the police doing anything, unless it's my fault, of course. And also the fact that I have access to the world, that it's more affordable means to travel to other countries from starting point, you know, South Korea compared to, say, if I was in USA, for example. Because honestly, I want to travel around Asia, and it's more affordable here than it would be if I was, you know, back home. And plus, I just love being an expat. I just love the idea of living abroad in another country. That's something that you don't hear about often in the Black community in general. It's one of those rare stories that you don't hear about ever, and and I can tell my story like that. Absolutely, and that is why I love shedding a light and allowing people to tell their stories because it helps, you know, again, create that picture for someone to imagine what the possibility may be. And then for someone like me who hasn't yet made her black sit, um, it's helpful to just give ideas because I'm still in the process of developing what my black sit will look like. And I have to say, it's been enriched in a lot of ways by these conversations. You know, it's made me curious about different countries, given me a deeper understanding about some of the things, you know, opportunities or challenges in certain countries. So that's why it's so critical to amplify these incredible stories such as yours. So I am so excited and appreciative of you giving your time. What would you, what advice would you give to someone who is thinking about either moving abroad or if somebody who's thinking about becoming an ESL teacher as their pathway to a life abroad, what kind of either advice or practical resources you would offer? Well, if you think, for anybody who's thinking about doing ESL teaching, one is obviously you got to make sure you have a clean background check for one and a four-year degree. So just make sure you get that out of the bat. Um, second of all, it depends because obviously some you can either do work of kids or adults. There are both options available to you. Depends on what you want. Uh, third thing is often is look at the country and the benefits um, so between South Korea, Japan, China, Vietnam, Taiwan. There's going to be pros and cons. So I would look at both. If there's a country you think you're interested in, look at the pros and cons for one of each country. And else, there's plenty of resources, various websites who have 
or people who have lived in Taiwan, Korea, Japan, so they can see, so you can read and see the pros and cons of each nation. And you feel that, okay, Japan, it's more expensive than South Korea to live by. It's kind of more, it's a bit more challenge to be able to afford to save money over in Japan than it's in South Korea. But if that's what in your heart, you feel like you still want to do Japan, go for it. Or if you don't want to ESO teach him, but you want to work abroad somehow, some way, maybe look at international companies that if you have the skills and CV resume that allows you to work in another country, why not apply it on those job boards, see what you can find. And of course, make sure you have a financial plan. Make sure you figure out how to make money. Like make sure you have a job or something lined up before you jump, move abroad. Oh, and the best advice I would say, and my big mistake when I first moved to South Korea, for if you want to live abroad, become an ESL teacher, save money. At least get, I would say, at least fifteen US dollars, fifteen hundred dollars or more to help you get through your first initial months when you're moving abroad for sure. And of course, that the price varies if depending on the country, of course. Great advice. Thank you so much. So in closing, Phil. How can people find and support you? Because I want people to be able to take action and support your efforts in this first book. So how can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at the Blurred Explorer. So that's usually the best way to contact me. Um, of course, you can also get my email address if they ever have any questions, comments, or concern. And I'll be trying to uh, respond via email as fast as I can. But uh, if you have any questions, please feel free to contact me or you need ideas, suggestions or comments. Please, please feel free to contact me. Awesome. So I will put the information about how to get to you on Instagram and the show notes for this episode, as well as links to your ebook so people can support your book. It is such a pleasure speaking with you today. You've illuminated so many things in our conversation. And I know, like I said, being the admin for the Blacks of Global Facebook group, there are a lot of people that are curious about ESL as a pathway to their Blacksit. I know personally for me, that was one of the ways I was considering initially moving abroad. So I am so excited to have your perspective, particularly in an Asian country, to bring this to our audience. So, Phil, thank you so much for your time today and being an incredible guest on the Blacksit Global podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed this. Thank you for listening to the Blacksit Global Podcast. For more information on today's episode, be sure to visit our website at blacksitglobal.com. Has this episode left you feeling inspired to begin your journey, but not quite sure where to start? Download our free guide with the top five questions you need to ask before planning your Blacksit. You can find that under the resources tab of our website. Remember, it's not only possible to live out your dreams unbothered and in full color, it is your birthright.
Are you trying to sort out health plans, banking, VPN, and other connectivity for your move abroad? Well, have no fear. We've got you with the Move Abroad Starter Kit. Get yours today at blacksitglobal.com resources. That's blacksitglobal.com resources.